listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Pastor Nick is not here this week. He's in Austria for a European pastors conference. So think of him this week and pray for him as he'll be teaching and ministering to other pastors and encouraging them uh, as they go throughout the week uh, at the conference. Also pray for Rosemary, his wife, because she'll be uh, manning the household, womaning the household, I guess, uh, with the kids. So yeah, pray for them as well. And Mike will be teaching us this morning, continuing the series on the vision of the church. Amen. Thank you so much. Got your Bibles with you? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 is where we'll be looking this morning. So let's just read that together. If you have, uh, you're, you're using a, a phone, you're using, want to use the Bible app, I, the version Bible app is a great app to use. All the scripture verses are in there. A lot of my main points and things every week are in there. And also you can find the community group uh, questions. So you can be studying before you show up at community group and you look really smart. So um, you can be looking for those as well. But, but this morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. And this is going to be a launching pad into this topic called the vision for the church. And it is a large topic. And so I only have about three or four hours this morning to get through it. So I hope you can bear with me. I know the Pro Bowl is later, but who watches the Pro Bowl? So chapter 2, verses 19 through twenty. 22. So then you, in Ephesians chapter 2, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Lord, we just thank you for those words, that you are building us together, and Jesus, that you are a cornerstone, that we, we can build our lives upon you. Lord, we need you. We desperately need you. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal your heart this morning for your church. Give us a vision for what, since the beginning of time, what you saw in your church. And pray, Lord, that we here at Whitefields Church, Whitefields Community Church, would reflect that image that you desire to see for your glory in Jesus' name. You know, it's always an honor to stand here before you and share God's word, and today is no different. And as Sean said, we're continuing with our vision series this week, and uh, we kicked that off uh, with this year, and this is the fourth in, in, the, in the, our series, and we're going to be looking at, of course, a vision for the church. But if you have missed, you're new with us this morning, and you have maybe, you missed a Sunday, and you've missed any of our sermons in this series, I encourage you to get to our website, whitefieldschurch.com, and you can download them there and listen to them there, or they're up on YouTube, uh, any I think podcasts, anyone that you listen to, you can find us there. And, and this series, I think, is a great launching pad for this new year to give us perspective and give us a reason why, an opportunity for God to readjust our priorities for the coming weeks and the coming months and get us aligned with his will and his purpose for our lives. As the old adage goes, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. So let's make it our, our goal this morning and this year to get to know Jesus who holds 
the future, our future, in the palm of his hand. This past week, Facebook brought this memory back. You know, they bring these memories, you know, from a year or two years ago, you know, where you were about a year ago. And, and this memory was from about 14 years ago when we were uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan, we had traveled there with a worship team uh, from our church in Budapest, Hungary. They were all Hungarians on that team, and we'd, we'd gone to Kabul, gone to Afghanistan to minister to the troops at the various bases in that area. This is around 2006, and there were, you know, American bases, Americans, NATO forces. There were Hungarians. We met British, Australian. But our first evening there, we went to this mission house where all these missionaries, missionaries were from all over the world. They were all gathered there, maybe 25 or 30 or so, working in all kinds of various capacities, doctors and businessmen and teachers, uh, people working with NGOs, and, and there were Filipinos and British, Japanese, Africans, Americans, Canadians, all of them working there every day under the threat of death. Even our gathering that night was illegal. We didn't know them. They didn't know us. We're in the middle of Kabul, Afghanistan. You might as well think it was the moon. It's very desolate. But, we, but they knew we were a worship team, and so they asked us to play and lead a time of worship. And as we played, as we began to sing our songs, God united our hearts in that room in an instant. Strangers from every corner of the planet united because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of our singular purpose to bring him glory and to serve Jesus, even under the threat of death, knowing that God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. This, my friends, was the church. This was the church, united in Christ and united in destiny. Now this morning, you have come here through these doors to Whitefields Community Church. What does that word church mean to you? you came to church this morning what did it mean when you came to church to understand God's vision for the church we need to know what that word means and this is going to be our purpose here this morning and hopefully I can do justice to this very large topic to see the church as God sees it as Acts 20 28 tells us was bought this church was bought by his own blood and to see our place in God's vision for his church. And I want to ask four questions this morning, and this will be our four main points if you're taking notes. The first question is, what is the church? What is the church? Secondly, who leads the church? Thirdly, what is the purpose of the church? And lastly, what is your place and my place in the church of God? And we're going to dig into these questions and hopefully have a clearer picture of God's vision for his church. So first of all, what is the church? What is the church? Of our four questions today, I think this is probably the one that is most important. I don't think you can even get to question number two, who leads the church, until you answer this question number one. I don't think you can answer any of these questions, I think, accurately and biblically, until you come to some kind of understanding of what the church is. You know, when Pastor Nick asked me to teach on this topic, this question really consumed my mind. What is the church? It's what I thought about, dreamt about. What is the church? Lord, what is the church? And I might have shared this quote before with you, but I think it's so relevant in our day and age because society has successfully redefined words. And by doing that, they successfully redefine arguments for the good or for the bad. 
Theologian David Peterson says that defining words is important because not only do we use words, but that words use us. That's true even if we're unaware of it. Once we assign a meaning to a word, it both reflects and it shapes our worldview. And I believe church, the church is one of these words that we truly need to define. Because, you know, the word church has developed a lot of baggage over the centuries Some might think it's a beautiful building or a beautiful location. Maybe it was that place that mom and dad dragged you to every weekend that you hated, you know. It's come to represent, you know, controversy, moral failure, abuse of power, breach of trust, lies, ignorance, antiquated stories, stuck in the dark ages, repressive. Does any of this ring a bell with you? You know, I was asked to speak at this Reformed church many years ago in a city on the east side of Hungary, The pastor was young, and he had a real heart to reach the young people with the gospel. As with many of the mainline denominational churches in Europe, the median age was about 60 to 70 years old, and not a lot was being done to draw the next generation to Jesus. And during the Q&A time, at the end of, 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 of our study time, a young girl asked me, just point blank, she said, why do so many people go to your church and nobody seems to want to come here? And having lived in Hungary for a while and kind of knowing the climate, I answered her honestly and I said, I think it's your building. I think it's this beautiful building. People have so many, you know, prejudices connected to this building, to the idea of religion. People, it represents stale religion to many people out there on the streets. You will need to go out and reach people where they're at with the gospel before they will come through your doors. And in that moment, I think I redefined in her mind what church really was. I redefined what the church was. In contrast, the church I was from was in a hundred-year-old theater in the middle of the city of Budapest. It had been used by the Nazis in World War II. People had seen movies there for decades. They had no problem walking through the doors, even many of them by accident. Of course, What was the question that many of them asked? They're like, is this a church? I used to come watch movies here. Is this a church? What is the church? What is the church? But even in church circles, among those of us who call ourselves Christians, it sometimes seems like a place where there's a bunch of individuals that gather together to have a private individual worship time and receive a a personal word from the Lord and then run out of the back of church as fast as they can so they can survive their week alone. There's so many denominations and methodologies that we have to deal with. Again, I've been asked many years ago to come and teach and disciple on the topic of worship at a local denominational church in the city of Budapest. And one of the elders of the church who attended that meeting told me there in front of everybody that my church was not a real church because we did not have membership at my church. It seemed ironic to me that someone from a real church had to call someone from a fake church to teach his real church about the subject of worship. But I didn't say that out loud, of course. But I tried to move the conversation back to the relevant topic at hand. What is the church? Well, if you want to get technical, the official Greek translation, the language our New Testaments were written in, the official Greek translation of the word church is ecclesia, which is defined as assembly or called out ones. And one of the New Testament Greek lexicons I looked at said this, Ecclesia is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place 
and assembly, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. Well, guess what? We're a gathering of citizens here this morning. Obviously, not at home. Here is in this very public place, a Longmont Community Center here at Roosevelt Park, assembled together to worship God. The church, the ecclesia, is not a New Testament, New Testament concept at, um, either. This, this idea of going to church on Sundays didn't start with the disciples in the New Testament. Leaving your homes and going to the house of the Lord to gather with the people of God. This did not start in the early days of Acts, in the book of Acts in the church. No, this is Old Testament. This is before the beginning of time. The Old Testament is full of pictures of God calling his people out, calling his people together, and none more than in the Psalms. You've been reading the Psalms lately. Psalms 120 through 134 are called, they're called the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms of Going Up. And these were the songs sung by those worshipers, the children of Israel, as they made their journey up to Jerusalem to worship for the annual feasts. One of the Psalms 122 reads like this, starts out, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Were you glad this morning when your wife told you, hey, we're going to the house of the Lord, you know, as you're dragging your kids, kicking and screaming into the car, you know, you're late. No, this is, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, a psalm of ascent. And Paul seems to mirror this definition in the New Testament, this picture when he wrote in his introduction to 1 Corinthians. He wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And as we saw in our scripture text this morning, we can start by saying that the church is where every stranger, every foreigner, every language, every tribe and culture, every political persuasion, every ideology, rich and poor, the best of us, the worst of us, find acceptance. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. Jesus has paid our membership fees with his own blood. Our membership card is that imputed righteousness of Christ that I am declared righteous by God, purely by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And thus all depends on Christ's merit and his worthiness rather than on my merit and my own worthiness. 1 Peter 2.9, this is a great verse. If you're underlining your Bibles, don't scratch up your iPads or anything, but you are a chosen race, 1 Peter 2.9, a royal priesthood. This is Paul talking about us. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out. Remember we said Ecclesia called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church is the ultimate place. This morning, the church, the ultimate place of redemption. If you needed redemption this morning, you are in the place that you need to be. Where all barriers that separate us are torn down and we come together, the gathered, redeemed people of Christ to celebrate together the salvation we have found in him. Many years ago when I lived in the city of Damascus in Syria, there were different sections of the city called quarters. 
You had the Greek Orthodox quarter and, and the Muslim quarter. And during the French occupation uh, in the early 1900s, there was even a Jewish quarter, if you believe it. There, you know, kind of a loose segregation of cultures. And we see this in our large cities here in America, right? Chinatown, Koreatown, Little Italy, Spanish quarter. You know, people kind of, people groups gathered, gathered segregated by their nationality. But this is... This is not something new. This, this goes back even to our New Testament. In Acts 11, we have a picture of Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Its population numbered in the hundreds of thousands, which means it would have been a very big city even in, in today's standards. In fact, historians have said that the population density of Antioch was greater than that of New York City. And if you've been to New York City, that's a lot of people. And they didn't even have high-rises in Antioch. So this was a big city, an urban environment with people packed in tight, living in close proximity to each other. And furthermore, Antioch was quite unique among cities of the world at that time because it was very, very multicultural city. It was founded as a place of commerce and business. And because of that, many people moved there to work. And the population was a mix of Greeks and Arabs and Syrians and Jews as well as Africans and even Chinese. But Antioch was far from a multicultural utopia. No. One of the interesting things about Antioch is that in addition to having an outer wall to protect the city from attacks from the outside, Antioch was also had walls inside the city, which, which separated those different ethnic groups from each other. Because you can imagine the same things happen that happen in our day too. Two people from, from two different ethnic groups get in, a, get in a scuffle, and soon you have entire ethnic groups hating each other and warring against each other. And this was such a problem in the city of Antioch that they had to, that they had to build walls to protect the people from each other. That's how much ethnic strife there was in this city. But here's what happened when Christianity came to Antioch. This is what happened. Christianity broke down those barriers and began to unite the people of this divided city. First, we see Jews and Greeks in Acts chapter 11 in, together in one in church. And then in Acts chapter 13, we're going to see that there, we see that there are people in this church from Africa and from other parts of the Roman Empire. And what was happening was the people were crossing those interior walls of the city to meet together and worship Jesus the power of the gospel through the church of Christ was breaking down the walls that separated them. In Ephesians 2, 14, we get our example of where this comes from. It was Jesus himself. For himself, Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Of course, that hostility we had with the Father, our sins separated from him. And Jesus broke down that wall. So what is the church? It's God's redeemed people called out and unified under one banner of grace. But it does not stop there, right? Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is also the body of Christ. We the church, we are his hands and feet. We're not called out, but called, not only called out, but we're called to. And we'll dig into that topic a bit later on in our next question. But Romans 12, 5 kind of solidifies this by saying, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members 
of one another, one body, the church. And Ephesians 5 tells us that Jesus nourishes and he cherishes his church. You know, unfortunately, I've met many people that say, well, I love Jesus, but I just hate the church. I love Jesus, but I, just, I can't stand being around God's people. My friends, that's just not even possible. You can't love Jesus and hate his church. The church is the body of Christ. We are the body. In, we are one in body, one in Christ. Jesus loves the church. He founded the church. He gave his apostles the charge to lead the church. It is his chosen means for discipleship and carrying out his mission to the world. He builds the church. He sent out his people to go and start many churches. We find Jesus amongst the churches in Revelation chapter 1. He calls the church his bride. He loves it so much he wants to marry it. And in the end, everything culminates with Jesus marrying his bride. So basically to say, you love Jesus, but don't love the church. Jesus would look at you and say, no way, that's not what I say. That's not what I teach. That's not what I believe. That's not what I feel. The church is not a social club, a group of like-minded religious individuals or a man-made institution of people who like to gather together but it is a God-ordained divine institution built by his own hands, paid for by his own blood for his purposes and pleasures to make known the mysteries of the gospel. You and I are part of that divine institution this morning. This gathering here this morning is precious in the eyes of God. I hope you believe that. But who leads the church? Who leads the church? Question two. We move, move on. Of course, the obvious answer is, of course, Jesus leads the church. Jesus, he leads the church. From my text this morning, we read Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is our cornerstone. And Paul kind of expands on this idea in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He says, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church Head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. He is the head of the body, the church, his church. Pastor Nick is not the head of this church. I'm not the head of this church. The elders are not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of the church, Whitefields Community Church this morning. And I realize the answer to this question is kind of self-evident. Who leads the church? Well, it's Jesus. But in many practical ways, it's not. The church, I think, if you can study through history, has, has struggled with authority of who is the head of the church since the beginning. And I would even suggest to you that when the children of Israel asked God to give them a human king in the Old Testament, a human king to rule over them, we get a window into our weakness as people in this area. You know, for many people today, the style or the trendiness of a church rules their decision-making. Maybe the popularity or in the, and the, the large charismatic personality that stands behind the pulpit drives their choices. 
For some, maybe it's the music, the band, whether they are playing the top 40 Christian hits, or maybe they're not playing enough hymns, you know. Is, is it loud enough? Is it soft enough? Is there a good atmosphere? For some, it is the children's ministry or, or the programs. There's so many things that can become idols for us. It reminds me of some of those phone commercials we see on TV today where, where they will customize your family package for each person in the family because everybody uses their phone differently. Everything's tailor-made. Everything pay only for what you get. And, you know, this is kind of the culture we live in. And having said that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with popularity. Billy Graham was a very popular person. Great music. Every revival has spawned new great music. We're so grateful for all the great artists and musicians and, and people that make music and lead worship today in the church. We love that. We love those new songs and gathering together and singing the praises of God. We love that. Great programs and all that. Nothing wrong. There are biblical precedents that govern the importance of excellence in the church. We want to do things with excellence in the church. But I think the first question we should always ask and should always ask, is Christ head of this church? Is Christ head of this church? Because nothing else matters if Christ is not head of our church. Nothing else matters. Because the truth is that no efforts of man can save one single soul. No efforts. No program. No great speech. Not even the most inspiring music can bring one person to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 5, we, we get a little window into this thought. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They were arguing over the same exact thing. What church do you go to? What, who did you get saved? Who under, you know, this kind of things. And so Paul wrote, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Jesus brings the increase. Jesus brings the growth. The power is in the gospel, not in my abilities and my talents. We don't have to, have, have to craft a flashy and unique message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is our message. Our responsibility as pastors and teachers is to deliver you, to you, the word of God. As we are abiding in the vine, which is our theme for this year, abiding. Abiding in the vine, John chapter 15. Hearing from the Lord, submitting our plans and our desires to him and saying, and asking God, what is your will? What is your will, God? Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. I will build my church. We're not church builders. God builds his church. God does that. And as the church of God, as the church of Christ, the body of Christ, we want to make sure we bring our will into the submission to the head. I'll share with this, you, many of you might have heard this quote. It's been around many years by uh, theologian A.W. Tozer. And I hope he was being a bit uh, hyper, uh, hyperbolic, but uh, the quote goes like this. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would stop and, everything would, and everybody would know the difference. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is working here and if the Holy Spirit left this building, we would know. Lord, help us. 
that we are following the calling and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus leads this church. Jesus has preeminence in all things. You can be assured that the pastors and the leaders in this church are seeking the Lord fervently to know his will and trusting in him to build his church into his image, whatever that may look like, whatever that may look like for Longmont, Colorado. So we have established what the church is now and who leads the church. But what is the purpose of the church? You can see how these questions kind of flow one into another because we can't truly know the purpose of the church, the body of Christ, unless, we, unless it's connected to the head, submitted to receiving signals from the head. You know, what happens when there's a lost connection between our heads and our, bo- and our bodies? You know, things start to not work. If your legs are not getting signals from the brain, you're most likely sitting in a wheelchair. If you're blind, then there's, there's, a, there's a severed connection somewhere between the brain and the eyes. If you're deaf, then there's a severed connection between your ears and your brain. If we have lost connection, then we have lost confidence, and then we have lost purpose. And in order to fully realize the purpose of the church, we need to be submitted to Jesus, the head of the church, the head of the body, to abide in him. And that is important, church, because we are his hands and his feet. And so you can see how important it is to be communicating with the head. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The hands and feet of God. That is us, the church. The purpose of the church is to be the hands and feet of God to a dying world. To bring a message of salvation and true hope. We are ambassadors representing the heart of God to the people outside these walls. Of course, the Great Commission there in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, is the ultimate fulfillment of the body of Christ, the fulfillment of our church here in Longmont, Whitefields Community Church. But we are also called to other things along the way as we fulfill that vision that God has for his church. And Acts 2.42 is a great vision statement for a church. A great place to start. Acts 42, 2, 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we don't have time this morning to dive into each of those. That's like a whole Bible study in itself. But I do want to point out that, and I believe that Scripture bears this out as well, that sound biblical teaching should be the hallmark of a church, and it, I believe, is the hallmark of this church. And why is this important? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So many things there in those verses. Did you see some of them? I'll point some of them out to you. Number one, 
so that you and I might be equipped for the work of the ministry. That's why it's so important to be in his word. So that you and I might be equipped for the work of the ministry. Secondly, for building up of the body of Christ. Thirdly, for unity and faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And lastly, that we would not be swayed by false doctrine, carried away by the latest trendy thing that might be happening. Sound biblical teaching is important. You understanding what the church is, who leads it, and what its purpose is. This is important. And why is this important? Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy, Satan, that seeks to sow division and strife wherever and whenever he can. He wants to send us off on rabbit trails here and there, keeping us distracted as much as possible. Anything to keep us from God's purpose as the church, as his body. You know, a body that's flailing around on the floor is not of use to anyone, and it's certainly not accomplishing anything, not going anywhere. And Satan is not happy that you are here this morning. You could have stayed in bed. You could have gone hiking. You could have watched reruns of impeachment trials. Who knows? Anything else. But you are here with the gathered saints of God to worship God and be used by him for his purpose. And that was a noble decision. And that's a noble calling. We're being equipped for that calling that God has called, has put on our lives. And some of the other purposes that we see in the Bible that, that lead us to that great that, that great commission that happened in this church body every single week. Restoration, healing, conviction, forgiveness, refuge, serving the weak and the disenfranchised among us, orphans and widows, as we studied in the book of James, if you were here with us. Ambassadors for Christ, reconciling people to God through his church. God wants to bless this world. Through this church, God wants to bless this world. But the body of Christ, of course, is made up of many parts, individual limbs and appendages, each with a specific purpose to help the body function at its best. And that brings us to our fourth and final question. What is your place in the church? What is your place in the church? And before we go on, I just wanted to give a moment to those, you know, maybe this morning you're kind of feeling a bit disconnected from the head. You know, Jesus, you're feeling disconnected. Somewhere the connection between you and God is lost. It's, you know, it's a fog. You just don't feel like nothing's getting through. There's, you know, that ceiling. You can't hear. You're not hearing from the Lord. Of course, sin is an obvious, you know, reason that we don't hear from, the God. It, from God. It automatically puts up a barrier and, and it says, Lord, I want to do my will instead of your will. And that's something you might have to deal with. Sin is disobedience to God's call on your life, his will for you. Maybe you have to deal with this, this, mo with this morning and get connected to the head. You know, get that communication between you and the Lord flowing back and forth. Maybe you don't even know him this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Don't leave this building without getting to know Jesus. Don't leave this building without taking care of business. That is why we are here today, to be used of God to bring restoration and healing through the preaching of the word and worship and fellowship and praying for one another to show you the way to our Savior, Jesus. He died on that cross 2,000 years ago for you. He knew you in your mother's womb, and he sees you here today. Submit your life to him and become a part of the body of Christ. You know, in the Bible, we see a great picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, of the body of Christ and all its members and how it all works together and that, 
that whole thing, and, and I encourage you to read it on your own. We don't have time this morning to, to go through it. And again, another whole sermon. I told you it was a huge topic. But most importantly, you need to know that each one in this room, every single one of you sitting in a chair this morning has a gift from God that contributes to the greater purpose of the church, the greater purpose of the church. You have a talent. You may know what it is. You may not know what it is. You might be a hand. You may be an ear. You may be a little toe. You might be the liver. Who knows, you know? Someone has to be the liver, you know? Are you using your gifts is the question. Are you, are you investing what God has given you? Again, Matthew 25, Jesus gives us this great illustration through the tell, telling of a, a parable and how he views our talents and how he views how we invest them. And I encourage you to study that as well, Matthew 25. The point of that story is that we are to invest what God has put in our hands. We are to invest our talents. We're not to worry about the quantity. We're not to worry about the outcome. No. Who brings the increase? We've already looked at this. Who brings the increase? Remember? We plant. We might water. But God brings the increase. He calls us to invest. To take what's in our hands and say, Lord, here it is. Use this. I always love that story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, you know. How did he pull up such a great, amazing miracle? You know, we have potlucks here at the church, and there's a lot of food here, you know. And there's like 100 of us, a lot of food, and there's not much left over. But Jesus fed 5,000 people, and there were 12 baskets of food left over. What was the seed that was planted? What was invested? It was a little boy who gave his lunch of five loaves and two fish, and God took that. And he multiplied it out for his glory to serve the people. What do you have in your hand this morning? Maybe you have 100 loaves and a truckload of fish. Or maybe you feel like, well, I got a stale fish head and this like stale hot dog bun. And that's all I got, Lord. That's all I have. The point is, is your place in the body of Christ starts with you stepping out in faith. And investing what you have. Reaching out with that what's in your hands and giving it to Jesus. Because guess what? We read in, in Colossians. Through him all things were created. So what is in your hand, he already gave to you. And he will take it and multiply it out for his purposes and his glory. Maybe it's, you have time. Maybe you have resources. Maybe you are a prayer warrior who loves interceding for others. Maybe hospitality. Maybe teaching or maybe evangelism. The room is full of people who have these gifts this morning. And maybe you are doing it already. You're doing, you're doing your part and God is well pleased with you this morning. I want to encourage you to keep at it. I want you to encourage you to keep at You are a blessing to this body and beyond. Not only here in Longmont, but beyond. Those who give to missions and those who give to all the projects that we, we do, Project Greatest Gift and Back to School and all those things. You know, you put your time and your effort. You bless people throughout this region and throughout the world. You are a blessing to this body and beyond. Jesus is what connects us all and brings us into unity. And as you come every morning... You say, what is my place at the church? Well, one is to come and be a part of God's church, gather church on Sunday morning. That's your place. Come and be a part of God's gathered church on Sunday morning. Bring someone with you. Seek to be a blessing to others as you come through the door. Come with an attitude to give, to serve. 
Come take your place in the midst of the congregation and join your brothers and sisters in singing praise to our God. I love, I love these verses in Colossians 3, starting verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, God has given us this gift of music to, to unify our hearts around one theme and one person, the person of Jesus Christ. It's such a great picture of the church, especially from where I stand up on the stage every Sunday, responding to God, knowing full well that, that God's Holy Spirit is at work in our midst. I love this psalm, Psalm 35, 18. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, or or among many people. I will praise you. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I love being part of the body of Christ. I love being at this church. I love serving all of you in our common purpose and mission to bring the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to Longmont and beyond. And I hope you will join myself and, and Pastor Nick and the rest of the leaders in the vision for this year, for this church, for God's glory. Amen. Lord, we're just so grateful. I'm so grateful for all the people in this room, Lord, and so many of them so dedicated and committed to the work of the ministry in this church. Apostles and prophets and, and evangelists and teachers those blessed with, with different gifts of hospitality and administration and, and all these kind of things. The list goes on and on and on, Lord. And you're using them and they're blessing your people as we gather together. Those who pray for one another and just speak a word of knowledge to one another, bring encouragement to one another. I'm just so grateful for this church and the work that you've done through this church. Your Holy Spirit doing its work in, in, in reaching Longmont and beyond and even into the rest of the world as we think of our missionaries. And Lord, we're just so grateful. And I just pray your Holy Spirit would just come and bring encouragement to those who might be weary in doing good. They might be weary this morning. And that as the church, we might gather around them and say thank you and be encouraged and be strengthened. And Lord, we, just, we look forward to all that you're going to do through your church the vision that you've laid upon our hearts, that it might come to full fruition this year and the years to come, and that many more would walk through these doors and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be built up in your word, bring, brought forth to full maturity as in Christ for your glory and for the amazing, beautiful name of Jesus. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.